This is the show with Cannon Brown. The traditional show will always have its place. But as people are becoming more and more engaged um, with technology, I think that there has to be a progression um, to keep people engaged in our shows. That last few minutes might have been a little confusing. You'd like to know who I was talking to, wouldn't you? What's up, guys? Happy November 21st. It's turkey season. The season of turkey and ham. Uh, If you're eating turkey, dark meat, obviously. Uh, I'm talking about Thanksgiving because I'm so hungry already for it. I'm so ready to just sit at the table, uh, eat to my fill, take a nap, eat leftovers, fall asleep again, wake up in the middle of the night at around 2 a.m. to 3 a.m., don't know which one yet, and then eat more leftovers, finish off with pie, and then go into a food coma for about 12 hours. That's my plan. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but that's mine. So don't judge. And if that's not your plan, whatever. You live your life. But if that is, hell yeah, brother. We're in it together. And we're going to, we're just, <laughs> Thanksgiving is so great. <laughs> I mean, family's cool and all, but like that food. Oh, the food. I'm also talking about Thanksgiving because I don't know if I'm going to release a Thanksgiving Day episode. Um, but do not fret. Do not fret. Because, gee golly gosh, Batman, do I have an idea for you guys. I've got my Monday episodes down. Oh, and you're going to love them. And I'm bringing in one of my favorite subjects, history. History will be involved in, in my Monday episodes now. Uh, I'm going to try to make it fun. Uh, I'm going to put my own spin on it, uh, but we're going to go into the history of some aspects in our industry. I don't want to get I don't want to get too involved now. It's still kind of a secret, and I'm still working out the kinks, um, but I've got some good ideas for you, and I'm going to be, be releasing some videos. Um, I think I'm going to get more active uh, with my videography, if you will, which is exciting, so be on the lookout for that. Um, I've got a great guest for you guys today, and I say that every week. I think that's my go-to when I when I go into this part of the intro, but not only is he a great guest, but he's a family member. He's my uncle. Um, he's been one of my biggest influences my whole life. I would not be talking to you guys. You would not be hearing my voice coming out of your headphones or of your car speakers without this guy right here that I'm about to interview and you're, you're about to listen to. This is my uncle, Jeff Maynard. Um, if you don't know his name give it six months, give it two years, give it five years, you will know his name. Uh, He's making a huge impact on this industry. We're going to get into all the many aspects that he's into um, later in the interview. I don't want to give it away, but he's an entrepreneur in this industry, unlike any that I've seen. Uh, And I'm just so honored and lucky to have him in my life and and here whenever I have some questions. Uh, he's, He's always pretty blunt uh, and there's some questions that I don't even want to ask him because I know he's going to say no. Uh, but there's some that, that, that he kind of gives me, and he's like, all right, that's decent, which I, I really cherish those ones, like this podcast. <laughs> I, if, if Jeff had said, hey, man, this podcast thing isn't going to work out, you shouldn't do it. Yeah, you wouldn't be hearing me. You wouldn't hear me doing this right now probably. I don't know. Maybe I would have been a rebel, whatever. So I've got a great interview uh, with Jeff Maynard. Follow me at the show pod uh, at the show pod on Instagram, uh, follow me on Facebook, like my, my Facebook page, send me a message. Um, yeah, converse with me. 
Follow me on Instagram. I'm going to get a Twitter soon, especially with my like me getting into more videos. I'm definitely going to be on Twitter very, very soon. And I've said that for like the past uh, since I started the podcast, but it'll happen. It'll some it'll happen sometime. All right. I will talk to you guys in my closing segment. Um, let's do it. I talk too much. I talk too much. We're already like four minutes in. We're way more than that. I'm just looking at my time. I'm taking up way too much time right now. Let's do it. Without further ado, Mr. Jeff Maynard. You're safer here than any place else. Now just lock yourself in and keep quiet. All right, Mr. Maynard. How the heck are you? Good. <laughs> how are you? I'm doing well. Um, most people know. Some people don't. Um, you're my uncle. Wow. Surprising. Yes. Um, so I just wanted to get that laid out before we get into the whole conversation. So that mm-hmm. if we talk about any weird stuff and they're like, how do they know each other that well? Now, you know, like if I'm asking how your grades are or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Like the things that you won't be bringing up today. That's exactly, yes. that's a perfect example of what we won't be talking about. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, you were making some head trainers today. How's that? It was good. We, uh, had to ship some out and um yeah and so sullivan's is selling a bunch of those around the country they're they're making some headway if you will yes absolutely that's been really good for us and of course we have a good relationship with sullivan's through our camps and then also of course through your product folk feeders yes sir well um you've got a long history in this deal uh in this industry and I want to take it back to the beginning. Obviously, I know your story, but uh, a lot of people don't. Uh, a lot of people don't really know you, Jeff. And you're kind of a you're kind of a big deal right now. Uh, I, don't, and, I don't know about that. Well, but... you stay on the outskirts. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of people don't know anything about you, and I'm excited to uh, bring a new perspective to people. Well, I'll share what I can. Okay, perfect. All right. Well, let's talk about you growing up on, on the on the family dairy. So. My first question is: You're you're surrounded by cattle uh, from the time you're born. What makes you want to show pigs, or what makes you even interested in showing pigs? Well, um, I grew up there on our on our family dairy, of course. And um, in 1986, um, as you know, we went through the dairy buyout program. And so there was a time, um, and that was right whenever I was, um, of age that I could start showing. I was, I was about uh, eight years old when we went through the dairy buyout and then seven or eight, somewhere in there. Um, cause that was 1986 and I was born the end of 78. So, um, but anyways, um, at the time that we had a five year moratorium that we were not allowed to have any dairy cattle on our property. And so, um, while that was going on, um, obviously, like I said, we couldn't have any dairy cattle. So it was time for me to join 4-H. Um, as you know, our family has a long history in 4-H and FFA, and we had to think of something other than dairy cattle, um, that I, I could show. And, um, my dad, your papa had showed beef cattle, but, um, at the time he thought, well, let's, let's try something smaller and see if, if it's something I was interested in. And, um, we had some friends that had a 4-H club, uh, and had sheep and hogs. And, um, I decided I wanted to try hogs. So that's, uh, kind of where it all started was, um, um, I just, I started with that first hog and, 
uh, I loved it, and and the rest is history. So now I I will get to you showing pigs and stuff, but I want to know personally because I'm I'm not very uh, keen on this information. But what was that uh, buyout program? So the government essentially um, had a program where they, and I don't know if they required or they requested all dairymen in the country to put in a bid um, that would essentially, um, it would depopulate the number of dairy cattle in the country because there were, there were too many cows and too much milk. And so um, my dad and, and uh, my two uncles were partners uh, in our family dairy that uh, my grandparents had owned at one time. And then my dad and his two brothers had taken over and um, uh, ironically they put in the highest bid that was accepted in the United States. They really didn't want to go out um, but essentially the government paid them a subsidy if you will um, that uh, basically part of that plan was they had to depopulate and sell all of their cows. They all had to go to slaughter and uh, there were dairies all over the United States that went through that program and um, the theory at the time was that, uh, you know, the depopulation of those dairy cows would help um, elevate or, or stabilize the price of dairy products in the United States and, and for export purposes as well. Uh, did it do its job? Did it kind of stabilize stuff? I think so. I mean, uh, at the time, um, you know, the dairy industry is a roller coaster. And yeah. so, um, I, you know, you talk to a lot of different people and, and people say different things, but it, you know, when prices are good, all the dairymen in the country, you know, increase the size of their herds and build, build on, uh, large dairies. And then, and then when it goes down, you know, everyone's hurting, it's feast or famine. And, um, I, you know, it's, um, it's a double-edged sword. So, um, it's one of those things that, you know, I'm, I'm not engaged in that industry now, yeah, but obviously have a lot of friends and family that are, are still are. And so hear, hear a lot about it, but, um, I think it helped for a little while, but, um, um, then it, uh, you know, it's just crept back up where there's uh, a lot of dairy cattle. And, and of course they, um, are always battling, um, the amount of product that's on the market versus what the demand is. And of course, dairy, uh, milk demand has gone down considerably compared to what it was. So. Well, that's what I was just going to ask you. And I know this isn't your strong suit, but I was going to ask you if you think that depopulation offer would happen again from the government just to stabilize those milk prices or if they're just going to kind of let it go its I don't, course. I don't think so. I don't think that'll happen again. I think if it happened, it would have to be through, um, you know, the producer associations or something of that nature. But, um, you know, the I saw something the other day where I was reading where obviously demand for uh, liquid milk has gone down considerably just because of um, uh, the consumer thinking that it's more of a health conscious choice. But then also with the other types of AKA milk <laughs> coming yeah. into um, the market being almond, wheat, etc. And so, um, you know, I think... Uh, dairy producers are going to have to look um, at other ways to maximize their product, whether it be niche or, or something of that nature. So yeah. I, I don't know. I, I don't follow it close enough to, to understand all the ins and outs and so forth. But um, certainly, um, you know, I'm sure there's something that could be done, but probably I doubt if it would come from the federal level at this time. Yeah. I, I mean, I wouldn't guess, but I just wanted to get your opinion and uh, I know you're, 
you're, that's not the thing that you're worried about on a daily basis. And what you are worried about is the thing that you pick to show, um, yeah. when you were younger and that's pigs and, and that's kind of shaped your life up to this point. Uh, let's talk about like when you joined that 4-H program, started showing pigs, uh, did you immediately just fall in love with it? Is it something that you kind of had to get used to or, or what was that process like? Well, I, I, I think I, I, um, from what I can remember, I really liked it, you know, and that was 30 plus years ago. So it's been a little while, but, um, and a lot of things have happened between now and then obviously can, but uh, from what I remember, yes, I did. I, I really loved it. Um, I remember that my dad, who's your papa, um, and I went down to a commercial hog farm, um, here locally at the time. And, uh, we bought a hog, uh, from, um, the gentleman there that, um, my dad knew. And, and I don't think we paid very much, I think 75 or a hundred dollars for that hog. And, uh, you know, um, my dad was kind of skeptical and wanted to make sure that I wanted to do the project. And, uh, so we put it and, and kind of retrofitted our, our calf barn, um, that was empty obviously at the time because of the buyout in the back of our dairy. And, um, that worked really, really well. And, uh, I think, um, you know, I, I, I would say that I was 10th or 11 in our, in our class. I mean, I remember I made the junior auction and that was, we were pretty excited about that. And then, yeah. um, the following year we bought a hog here locally from someone a kind of more of a show pig style hog. Um, and then, um, I believe it was the year after that we ended up going to Oklahoma and, uh, the rest is history. That was kind of, um, you know, started my love of the show pig industry and, and we started being more successful, obviously. And it was something that I became very, very passionate about and, um, was really, really passionate about it probably from the time that I was 10 or 11 years old, um, you know, on. So, yeah. and, and not just the show pig deal, but the, just, you know, the show industry as a whole 4-H, FFA, et cetera. Well, when you went to Oklahoma, you got yourself a Duroc, didn't you? Yep, I did. Um, you know, we had some family that lived uh, there in the more Norman area, and uh, we drove back for Thanksgiving um, to to uh, spend some time with them and ended up uh, going down to the local feed store, and we asked the guy, hey, is there is there a... Um, you know, a local show pig breeder here close. And he said, yeah, there's a guy right down here, um, down, about a mile down the road that raises some incredible Durocs and it was Moffat's Durocs. And we went down there and, um, I think we brought back 10 pigs, uh, from Daryl and, uh, through that process, he introduced us to another guy named Ricky Shepard who owned Apache hog farm that was located, located over in Newcastle. And between those two guys for, gosh, probably 10 years, um, you know, we showed and bought and sold pigs uh, um, to local 4-H uh, and FFA kids here locally and, and had a very, very successful uh, career on the local level and state level here in Arizona. We didn't, uh, and of course, at Arizona Nationals, et cetera, we've, that was about the extent of, of our uh, my show career, there wasn't a lot of big national shows at the time that you could travel to like there are now. So, yeah. um, I think the closest one was probably like Denver or something. Yeah. At the time. Yeah. yeah. And there really wasn't a lot of people that were, you know, traveling to show hogs the way that they are today. Yeah. So at the time, 
Well, I love that story, and I wanted, I was trying to get that out of you about you going to Daryl Moffis because I, I, I mean, that's just a name in the Duroc industry that it, that it's still standing, and it, it's more and more people are are coming up in the industry and not knowing that name, but the people that do know that there's he's been around for a long time, and his legacy is going to live on in that breed for a, for a while. Yeah, Doc and Daryl, and Doc, of course, was his dad, and yeah. um, we always dealt with Daryl. His dad was a veterinarian there uh, in uh, more Norman area as well, and, um, you know, it was, uh, that kind of started my passion for the Duroc breed, and um, I got my very first gilt whenever I was in seventh or eighth grade there and and, and bought it from Daryl, and that was uh, an incredible experience. I remember that we ordered semen um, from Howard Parrish, actually, uh, to breed that guilt, and uh, she ended up having 21 pigs. And oh, that was my. Her very first letter, litter, and it was pretty wild that she had that many, and um, it was, uh, that was basically lit the fire under me for um, what then for the next five or six years while I had was in FFA, uh, 4-H, of course, and then the four years that I was in FFA, I started my SAE, and I think we ended up, my senior year, I had about 30, 30 or 35 sows somewhere in there, and, um, you know, it was uh, it was a wild ride. It was fun. It was exciting, and um, I, probably one of the greatest experiences of my life was raising those pigs and learning about the industry and so forth and selling hogs, and I can tell you that... Uh, a lot of the friendships that I still value today were made with families that uh, we sold hogs to. And it's pretty interesting that now some of those families, their their grandkids uh, are starting to show or their kids are starting to show. And um, and uh, it's just kind of gone full circle. So, Well, I mean, you've kind of kept the same tone with what you've been doing in the industry from the beginning is, is what it sounds like. I mean, you're, you're always into it to, to help people out in the community and just try to get people hogs and help them out. And that's exactly what you're doing today. Yeah. There was a short time that, um, while I was, um, while I was a principal and and was teaching and had my charter school that I was, you know, four years probably that I was out of, um, the industry and kind of took a little bit of a step back. But other than that, I've been pretty engaged, uh, specifically here locally. And then of course, in the past five or six years, um, once we started next level, um, on a national scale and, um, but, uh, it's something I'm very, very passionate about. It's something that I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the future of the industry. I kind of try to keep uh, tabs on things that are going on, obviously. And, um, uh, it's something that is, uh, just something that I, I absolutely love. I can't, I can't imagine doing anything else than, um, what I'm doing right now. Yeah. Well, even when you were teaching, you were still servicing youth and the community. I mean, it's, it's, it's the same deal. Uh, yeah, it's just kind I, of a different aspect of it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's obviously uh, a lot of things that I learned through the process of being an ag teacher and then um, moving on and being a principal and then owning a charter school. A lot of those principles um, and the things that I learned about education and um, how to work with families and kids and so forth are the same principles that we use um, in, through next level and, and also, you know, putting on some different livestock shows and just dealing with youth and families in general. Yeah. Now we're skipping around a little bit, but I want to take it back to FFA. Yeah. Um, so obviously, I mean, you were a state officer, so you loved the experience. Uh, you went to Highland High School, uh, which did. is my yeah. rival high school. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. Go Tigers. Yeah. Um, but tell me about that state officer experience. So when right out of high school, you run, um, you weren't able to make the state officer team. Yep. And- so kind of interesting. I, and, and I'll step back just a little bit, just to kind of explain. Yeah, definitely. It'll make sense here in just a second. But our family um, is multi-generational, grew up here in Gilbert, Arizona. Um, like I said, your great, great grandma was a 4-H leader here in Gilbert, believe it or not. And we have that picture of her in front of the old Gilbert High School, which is really cool with my grandma and your great grandma. So she would be your great, great grandma that was the 4-H leader. And so, uh, you know, throughout the history of Gilbert, there had only been Gilbert High School. And then whenever I was in um, getting ready to enter ninth grade, they opened a second high school and that was Highland High School. And um, the lead ag teacher at Gilbert High School, Joe Grineal, basically um, came and recruited me. Um, he came out to the dairy and uh, met with uh, Papa, your your Papa, my dad and I, and um, and also my sister Jennifer, and said, hey, I want you guys to come to Highland and help me get that program started. And so we had, um, you know, the opportunity, I had the opportunity to make a decision if I wanted to go to Gilbert, where all of our family, all of my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, everyone had everybody gone, <laughs> or go to Highland. And, um, you know, I loved the ag teachers at Gilbert. They were incredible. But Mr. Grineal was a one of a kind guy. And um, Papa and I talked about it. And um, we just thought that it would be a really neat experience to go and go to, to Highland and see what happened with that program and see if we could, you know, help to establish that. And so before I was actually even uh, in ninth grade, my eighth grade year, similar to you and what I did with you, I went to um, state FFA leadership camp that summer. And uh, that was um, kind of the catalyst for everything. Whenever I was a freshman, Mr. Grinnell told me, I'm going to retire as soon as you become a state FFA officer. And um, at the time, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, he thinks I'm going to be a state FFA officer. I mean, I was a, a freshman, you know, I wasn't yeah. even thinking about that at the time. I mean, I thought state FFA officers were really cool, obviously, but that was a long ways off whenever you're in ninth grade. And so um, when I got to my senior year of high school, um, I decided, of course, I was going to run. That had been our goal, Mr. Grineal's and I's goal, and we had worked towards that over the course of the four years. And um, something really interesting happened. My best friend and I both from Highland High School, uh, Devin Manning, we both decided to run for state office. And um, at the time, it was very different than the way it is now in the state of Arizona. Now it is uh, more of a slate process for for some of the um, the way that the election process works. At that time, we actually had to run a campaign. We had to go out to the local chapters and go to the chapter banquets, and it was um, wow, quite involved. Very, very different. You had to campaign. We sent out brochures. We we talked about our experience. We had to go and meet with delegates. It was pretty interesting, and it was really cool. Um, but anyways, whenever they... Um, they had uh, nominated the state president that year. And then the way that Arizona worked, um, they would nominate the state president. Then they nominated the state secretary, which um, I guess you could consider, um, you know, the second position, if you will. Um, and then under that, they had all the vice presidents. 
Well, um, when they made that nomination, the nomination committee could not choose between Devin or I. And of course, we had gone to all the chapters because we were from the same chapter and best friends and had, um, you know, done our campaigning, etc. And we got nominated for state secretary, both of us. And then, of course, they nominated all the state vice presidents. And essentially, when it came time for all the delegates to vote, it split the vote between the two of us because everyone basically said they were going to split all the vote, you know, split the votes between the two of us. They couldn't choose between the two of us. And essentially, neither one of us got elected. And, oh, my God. Uh, so it was a really <laughs> wild process. And, of course, at that time, they had already nominated the vice presidents and voted on them. So, yeah. you know, it was a wild process. And there were some ag teachers that were pretty upset about the way that it, it happened and, and lots of discussion and so forth. But Mr. Greniel immediately afterwards said, Jeff, you know, it's okay. I made you a promise. And at the time he had planned on retiring and he stayed another year. And, um, essentially, uh, he was like, we're going to run you again in a year. You're going to go to college where that's going to be our focus. And, um, I ran again and I was elected state vice president. And, um, uh, it was, you know, the best experience of my life. And, uh, um, and of course something really, really cool. My, um, who ended up being my state FFA executive secretary, um, was, uh, an ad teacher at Highland, um, our second ag teacher that we had um, brought on board as that chapter grew, uh, Neil Schneider, and he was a, uh, an ag teacher there at Highland for two years before he was recruited to be the state FFA executive secretary. So I already knew him and uh, ended up getting to serve underneath him, which was really, really awesome. And um, uh, Joe and Mr. Grinnell and uh, Neil Schneider were probably two of the most influential people in my life. And today neil and i are our very best friends yeah you're so, still friends to this day and that's we're, that's we're i would consider him my best friend so yeah. um you know and he wasn't that much older than me at the time so um i think we've got an eight-year spread between us or something like that but uh um yeah so i had a pretty unique experience of, of running for state office and um obviously that um that was very uh beneficial to to my training and my life and so forth and some of the skills that I learned and so forth. And I've, I've carried that through. And now I, I currently serve as the state of fail. I'm my president and I sit on the state of a board of directors here in Arizona and yeah. um, I'm pretty engaged there. So um, it's uh, it's been um, a lifelong thing for me for sure. Well, and I wanted to ask you, I mean, obviously it was an incredible experience for you. Uh, it was a little bit of a different process to be a state officer in that time. And when we're comparing, uh, let's just say when you were an officer, a state officer, late 90s uh, versus compared to now, only about a 20-year difference, there is a huge difference in, in the way that things run and, and the way that state officers do things, at least in Arizona. I don't know nationally, sure. uh, but at least in Arizona, it seems like 20 years ago, the, the individual state officers had a little bit more of a voice than now i i you know i obviously i i, I don't currently serve as state fba officer or, or you know but i yeah, am course. very involved um i think that things have changed um over time obviously and there's uh, been several new regimes come in if you will in new executive secretaries and yep. and different people since then so um 
you know, obviously everyone puts their own spin on how um, state officers are going to interact. And I, I'm not going to say that it is a bad thing. It's just different now than what um, what uh, I experienced. And, and, and obviously things are very different. The way that um, youth are engaged and the way that... Um, you know, they're, they're involved in FFA is very different from um, whenever I was a state FFA officer. So, um, you know, it, there is, there is a lot of differences. And those are things that we reflect on all the time when I get to talk to PSOs here in Arizona, yeah. which there's many that serve on um, the different boards that I am on. Uh, and we discuss that all the time. But at the same time, we need to step back and realize that um, progress is good and things change for a reason. And um, the way that we engage uh, with um, FFA members 20 years ago is very different than the way that they need to be engaged today. I agree. So, And I'm not, I'm, I, you know, I wasn't a state officer, uh, so I'm, right. I'm, I'm an outsider looking in, so I don't have all the facts, but I have, I have noticed a change and I've, it, like you said, I've heard past state officers say, well, it was, it was an, it was a different experience than what I imagined. Yeah. That's well, and of course, Ken, when you become my age, you're probably going to look back at things and say, well, that was very different whenever, yeah. you know, yeah. and people get so stuck in a tradition or the way things were. And, um, you know, I am very much a progressive in those from that standpoint, I think. And, and some people might say I'm not. I I guess it depends on who you're talking to, but I definitely like to change things up oh, yeah. and, and try new things. And, and I think the way that we have to work with youth today is very, very different than it was 20 years ago. So I would, I would expect there to be, to be a difference in that. And I think, um, you know, sometimes it's hard for old timers, if you will, to, to, you know, for us has-beens to look and say, oh, wow, well, that's not the way that it, um, the experience was for us, but certainly, um, you know, as FFA progresses and, and moves forward and things change, we have to look um, to the future and, and figure out how we're going to keep things relevant and keep FFA members engaged and keep um, the organizations on track to to continue to, to provide the incredible leadership experience and, and CD, CTE and um, current technical education and obviously CDEs and LDs, etc., um, on track uh, to prepare students for the future. Yeah, so. and I would have to say you're a progressive as well. You're an innovator. I mean, you're doing you're doing different stuff every day. Uh, so yeah. I think the people around you know that know that you like to change things up. Yeah, uh, sometimes, and sometimes <laughs> I'm I, I'm a traditionalist as well. Yeah. I can get a little sentimental about things, but yeah. I I like to be progressive and I like to talk about new things and and um, try different things for sure. Now, did you run for national office? I did not. Okay. Nope. Um, I ended up not running for national office, and um, uh, and uh, I basically um, I I was still involved at the state level. I was um, uh, served in several different capacities after I was a state FFA officer. Um, I guess now they would call him a leadership specialist or something of that nature. Um, but, uh, I, I worked there at the department of education with Neil for a year and also, um, with our previous state president, uh, that was on my team, Brian Fuller and I ran, um, the state FFA camp. So 
Um, that was uh, also a very cool experience to get to run camp for a year and yeah. um, also work at the Department of Education. So um, it was uh, it was really fun to get to do that. So, well, and, I mean, state camp is I'm I'm very glad that you pushed me into state camp before I even went to high school. I didn't know yeah, and, I didn't know a single person. You know, and that's I knew a couple of people, obviously, because my sister was going to state camp yeah. uh, whenever I was in eighth grade. But you remember, I'm sure you recall, but I was like, if you're going to be an FFA, I, I, I made sure and talked to your mom and your dad and said, hey, you're going to go to camp too in eighth grade because I think um, that that's a tremendous uh, opportunity for, uh, you know, a kid that like you specifically that's pretty outgoing and not shy, et cetera, that, you know, you would be okay getting thrown into that environment. There were plenty of people there that you were going to, to meet and get to know. Um, and I knew you would be, you know, that that would be something very positive for you. I know there's other kids that might be scared to death to do something like that, but I, I knew that you could handle it. So, um, wow. but I think it was, I hope that you would say the same thing, but I think it was really, really, um, successful. As oh, it far was, as going. It was yeah. so beneficial. I mean, anybody yeah. that's listening, go to your state FFA camp. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, come on. It's like, it's a free camp. You get to hang out with your friends for five days. You're in a bunk well, it house. It's not free. I, it's not free. It's it's we pay for you to go, bucks, but, but it's an opportunity. And there are some states. I, I don't know that every state allows uh, eighth graders to go. Um, you know, individuals that are listening, you might have to check into that. But um, it's a great opportunity for kids to get um, get a, some um, FFA experience prior to to getting into that ninth grade year. And of course, there are some states that have a seventh and eighth grade FFA members. Obviously, that probably yeah, true. have. Uh, members that go Georgia, Florida, et cetera. So. Very true. Well, um, so you worked at the uh, department, uh, and then you go in right into ag teaching. Uh, you, you become no, an ag teacher. There was there actually was uh, something in between that. So um, the year that I was, uh, the year after I was a state of FA officer, about um, three quarters of the way through the year. Um, Neil Schneider, who was our state executive secretary, left and went to work for Arizona Farm Bureau Federation. And um, at the same time, whenever we had got done with camp and um, all of the, the different things that I was doing at the Department of Ed, um, basically, uh, Arizona FFA Foundation, once Neil was there, they opened up an opportunity for a intern to come in and work with the communications and um, the governmental um, organizations within uh, the Federation. And I applied and was accepted. So um, I worked uh, at Arizona FFA, or excuse me, um, the Farm Bureau Federation there for, I guess it was probably a year and a half. And that was uh, a really cool experience. I was in college at the time and, and getting some really hands-on ag experience. And um, there were some incredible people there. Um, Jim Klinker, Andy Kurtz, uh, Neil Schneider, um, and then of course, uh, Kevin Rogers. Um, I think it was right at the beginning of his term or right when he had um, just... Um, he might have been elected into my second year of working there. Okay. Um, but uh, anyways, um, and then after that, uh, that experience, then I went in and, and started teaching ag and was offered a position to teach kindergarten through 12th grade ag, ag ed, actually, which was very interesting, um, a very, very unique and cool experience. Um, 
and uh, very, very hard to do yeah. at the time. So there wasn't a lot of resources uh, for um, kindergarten through um, eighth, eighth grade ag ed. So that's a lot of stuff that I had to create um, in order to engage with those kids. And of course, we had 4-H for um, the kindergarten through eighth grade kids that were at that school. And then um, uh, we had um, we were beginning to start an FFA chapter, but didn't quite get it all up and going before um, I left that program and, and was offered another opportunity to teach ag at another school and then um, ultimately was offered the opportunity to be a principal and, and took that on in that leadership capacity and then eventually a few years later I started my own charter school so yeah so let's let's move on to that so um, this is one of your uh, accomplishments that you'll talk about you, you were one of the youngest people to start a charter school uh, in the state of Arizona um, in the in the United in States. In the United States, the, sorry. Mm-hmm. No, no, don't be sorry. It just at the time I was, um, and it sounds wild thinking back, um, I was 24 years old and uh, was one of the youngest people in the United States to ever get, uh, if not the youngest, to get accepted um, and have the opportunity to start a charter school and, and own a charter school. And then um, that same year we applied for the uh, federal charter school stimulus grant and um, we were awarded that grant and um, our school was uh, extremely successful we had a a good run I had an incredible incredible team and um, I'm I'm very grateful for the time um, that I had there and had the school and it was very exciting and um, fun Uh, but it was uh it, it almost, I wouldn't say it would all, it almost killed me, but it almost killed me. (laughs) So it was a lot of work. And especially for someone as young as I was and, um, you know, having 40 employees and teachers and then, um, you know, 300 kids. And that means 600 parents, which, you know, you're dealing with at any time, 900 to a thousand different people. And, um, it's, uh, it's a lot of responsibility for someone as young as I was. And, um, I, I'm grateful for the experience, but I'm glad that I am not in that business any longer. Well, so. what made you even want to start a charter school in the first place? It was a really weird, you know, sequence of events from the time that I was um, teaching ag and then uh, got recruited by another school to teach ag and teach junior high. And so I went and did that. And then um, the school needed some help on the leadership side. So I was helping to to enroll families and recruit and so forth. And then um, through the different people that I had met in the industry, I, I, I was kind of recruited to, to be a principal and um, had the opportunity to do that for, for a year. And then there were some stumbling blocks that were put in the way at that school with the finances from um, the individual that was starting it. And um, I kind of was pushed by some of the parents to say, hey, you know what, you are uh, the principal and we would love to continue to, to um, be involved with something that has your vision and, and uh, what you had promised at the school and um, the, the um, framework for what you had discussed. And so um, a couple of them got in behind me and pushed me and then um, we were able to secure some funding and, and decided to go ahead and start the school. So it was um, just a, a whirlwind of things that happened in a very short time period. And um, as I look back, it uh, it was um, something that was super exciting. 
but I'm not sure today if I would say yes to that again. <laughs> so I mean, gosh, dude. <laughs> it, 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 it was pretty wild. And of course, having the weight of the world on your shoulders and the amount of money that we were dealing with and the amount of families and kids. And um, we were a back to basics program. That's what I had researched and found that I really liked. I traveled to the East Coast and and then um, looked at some schools in Greenwich, uh, Connecticut, in New York City. And then also went into California. There were some programs called KIPP, which are extremely successful and still very successful. Um, Knowledge is Power program um, that were some of the most successful charter schools in the country at the time. And we modeled some of our programs after them. We were back to basics, college prep. Um, all the kids were uniformed. Um, we went back and, and used Spalding and Saxon, which, of course, there's probably some parents that are listening that know how successful those programs are. And um, we kind of reached back and um, brought some of the old school programs together, and it allowed us to be one of the top 10 schools in the state of Arizona within about a year's time. And then we had uh, people from all over the country coming in and wanted to replicate our program, buy it. They wanted to franchise it, et cetera. And I'm, I'm a little bit of a control freak, so we decided not to do that. We just wanted to kind of keep it in-house. And um, I didn't know if it would replicate the same way with, um, without our same team in place. And, um, and ultimately, um, with the, just some things happened uh, that um, pushed us to the point where we had to sell the school because of um, some outside financial issues that were happening at the state level. And so uh, we bowed out gracefully, I think, uh, pseudo gracefully, probably. But uh, at the same time, I, I, um, I'm very grateful for the experience and the people that I met. And I'm still friends with um, many of the teachers that worked for me and, um, it was, it was an incredible experience. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know me, I mean, I'm, I'm 23 years old. If somebody asked me next year to do a charter school, I wouldn't know the first thing. Uh, and I'd be like, nah, I am not, I'm definitely (laughs) not doing that. I was probably, um, again, I, I was, you know, it was thrown at me. I'm, I'm not the kind of person that normally says no to a challenge. Um, and, and I'm not going to lie. I I had other people that were helping me. And so, um, essentially the team that would said that they would help and, and came on board and so forth were, um, very successful people in the industry. We were, um, charting kind of on a new course because it was at the time charter schools were new and, um, you know, it was, something that I was exciting that I thought that, um, was something that I could have, you know, I could handle. And, and certainly we were, we were very, very successful, but, um, it, um, it was one of those things at the time, whenever you're, you know, and we had the school for, I guess, four years that we ran there and at the one site and then five year, the fifth year into the other site, um, you know, all of my friends were, you know, in master's programs, starting out their careers, traveling, having a good time, you know, enjoying their, their youth. And, um, (laughs) I was in charge of a very, very rigorous, um, school that was, you know, college prep back to basics and dealing with, um, helicopter parents on a daily basis and in a very affluent community. And it was, um, challenging to say the least. And, and, and I like challenges, but there's also a point where you say, 
is this really um, worth killing yourself every day? (laughs) So um, anyways, it was, it was one of, and I've said this before multiple times throughout our talk here tonight, that it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. It was, there's been, I've had a very, um, I guess during my life, I've had some really cool opportunities to do some things that a lot of people wouldn't get to do. And I've tried to learn from the successes, but more importantly, learn from the failures um, that I experienced from each of those to hopefully build and um, continue to progress and, and do different things and learn from those failures and move on and, and um, hopefully build upon those successes as well. Well, that just lends to the trend that we're talking about today. I mean, we're talking about your story and, and you're talking about learning from your failure, failures and all that. But I mean, Jeff, you're you're very ambitious. You, you said yourself, you're not going to shy away from a challenge. So it all goes back to the fact that you're an ambitious guy, you want success, you want to do the best that you can, why not do it as soon as possible? Yeah, and sometimes that is something that I find that is hard too, is I'm I'm definitely um, one of those people that I'm always thinking about new ideas and new things that we can do and try and so forth, and sometimes um, it's better to um, focus on one thing and do that really, really well. Um, it's really hard for me to do that because I do have a lot of different ideas, but I think, uh, we've tried to the past probably five years, I've tried to focus on three or four different things that, um, I think, uh, have the potential to be very, very successful. And, and have, we've started to see and, and, um, see some of that start to happen and, and are reaping some of the rewards and benefits from that now. So, yeah. and we're going to get to those. But we're gonna we're gonna first start a, uh, and talk about not only um, past state officer, uh, youngest charter school owner in the country, but you're also a world class auctioneer. How about that? I I would use world class <laughs> liberally, but um, you know, going back to Mr. Grenell, who, um, and I'll try to talk about that man without getting emotional. He was. Um, one of the most important people in my entire life. And uh, whenever I was a senior in high school, I told Mr. Grinnell, um, actually it was before that, I, I remember very vividly, um, well, I grew up in an auction barn because as you know, my stepmom um, ran an auction barn, a livestock auction barn here in the Phoenix metro area. And, and of course we were there quite a bit. And um, I always liked the auctioneer and the chant and so forth. And it was very intriguing to me. And um, I remember whenever I was a freshman, we went to National FFA FFA convention. And at the time it was held at, um, during the same time as American Royal in Kansas city. And we walked in and uh, there was a heifer sale and uh, Mr. Grinnell and I wanted to go to uh, that heifer sale that night. And we went and um, there was an incredible auctioneer on the block. And he was like, uh, I had never heard an auctioneer like that in my entire life. And uh, the excitement that um, was taking place in that sale arena was just uh, amazing to me. And it was something that I I will never forget. And I had goosebumps sitting there. And and it was at that point I told Mr. Grinnell, I said, I want to be an auctioneer. And um, so it was something we discussed throughout my FFA career. And I remember as a senior in high school, Mr. Daniel came to me and he had a piece of paper and it was covered up. Um, the only thing I could see was a signature line. And he said, hey, sign this. 
And I said, well, what is it? And he goes, just trust me, sign it. Well, when Mr. Grinnell told you to do something, you did it. And of course, I trusted him <laughs> with my life, you know. And so I signed it. And um, it was a couple months later, he came to me and he said, hey, um, do you remember that paper you signed? And I said, yeah. And he goes, um, you received a vocational scholarship and uh, we're paying for you to go to auctioneering school. And um, I, I remember walking out of the room and my eyes were filled with tears and it was pretty exciting. Wow, you know? man. And, like uh, <laughs> that's a, just the support that you had. I, I mean, from just your ag teacher, that's incredible. Yeah. I mean, you can't yeah. replicate that. You, you really can't, un- you really can't find that. It was unbelievable. And, um, so I remember that, uh, it was, um, <laughs> it was the, the summer after I didn't get elected to be a state FFA officer that, uh, I jumped in a truck uh, with my cousin and we drove to Mason City, Iowa. And uh, I went to auctioneering school that summer. And um, that was uh, just uh, an incredible experience. And Paul Bear, um, who's um, one of the greatest auctioneers of all time, runs worldwide. And I met him and um, several other very influential auctioneers in my life. And, um, and, you know, at the time, I wasn't sure. I, 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 like a lot of kids, thought, oh, I want to be a livestock auctioneer. Well, the reality of the situation is there's a lot of people that want to be a livestock auctioneer, and there's there are limited opportunities in that space. And so I did a few auctions after I, I left auction school, and I had a pretty good chant. And, um, you know, a lot of people um, liked my chant, and I was able to sell um, some show pig sales, some show lamb sales, et cetera. And, um, but didn't do a lot with it until after, um, I sold the charter school and, uh, essentially I thought, well, um, at the time there was a lot of talk about a segment of the auction industry called the benefit auctions. And, and I thought, you know, I have a unique perspective um, for private schools and nonprofits because I had ran uh, a charter school. Um, I knew uh, how to talk about education. And at the same time, we were also a nonprofit uh, for the for the foundation side of the charter school and, and um, had some ideas and, and um, of how nonprofits ran and operated. And so I was able to um, I basically, once I had sold the school, I said, I think I'm going to try, try to get in the benefit auction business and, um, was able to, to get involved in that. And, um, and I still am a benefit auctioneer to this day and do several benefit auctions, uh, quite a few actually every year. At one time I was doing 50 or 60 a year. And, um, that has allowed me, uh, more so than anything else, uh, the ability to do auctions and be an auctioneer has allowed me to do a lot of things in my life um, because of the, the financial benefits that it's allowed for me. So, um, and I have, uh, I love the benefit auction business. I love the people that I get to interact with and, and also being able to get on stage and, and command a room, which I, I, I love to to be able to be in there and, and feel that synergy of the room of raising money for a worthy cause, a great cause, whether it be, you know, make a wish or leukemia and lymphoma society or a private school or a charitable organization of any kind. It's there's, there's nothing in the world like 
getting on that stage and being able to to help raise the money raise money for something that is people are passionate about and that you know that that money is going to go back and help people that are less fortunate than you are. Yeah, yeah, and you definitely get into it. I think you're a pretty good auctioneer, Jeff. <laughs> well, I might be biased. I well, thank you. I um, I love the benefit auction industry. I, I still sell, obviously, some some um, show pig sales and um, some livestock sales and so forth, and do uh, some embryo sales in the Arabian world and so forth. But uh, my true passion and love is the benefit auction industry. It is uh, something that is very, very exciting and different than anything else in the auction world, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's quite a bit different from a livestock sale. I mean, the first time that I went to one of your benefit auctions, I didn't even know what the heck we were doing. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't <laughs> and of know. Course, I just threw you in the mix and said, come on, I'm putting you to work. Yeah, you're so. like, all right, go over there and, and try to call bids. I'm like, okay, I'll see if somebody raises their hand. We'll see how right. it goes. Yeah. Um, but no, w will you give us a little... Uh, a little taste of what it sounds like. <laughs> of course, that is uh, one of the most famous auction songs of all time. I know so, it. <laughs> I know it. I I think that that song has helped uh, inspire more kids to become auctioneers than anything else. I so. think it has. I mean, when I when I hear that song, I'm like, I really need to learn this stuff. Right. Right. But you won't. You wouldn't teach me. Well, I tried. If you remember correctly, I believe actually on our trip to Oklahoma to get your first set of show pigs, um, I was trying to teach you to roll your R's. Yeah. I also was trying. I taught you Betty Botter and yeah, um, you taught me some tongue twisters, some tongue twisters and so forth. So yeah, I did try. I couldn't roll my R's. I still can't do it. You could still be an auctioneer even though you can't roll your R's. But, well, that's good. Um, I think we could get you professional help to teach you how to roll your R's if I you think really I, wanted to, to be an auctioneer. Well, I've so. talked to a couple of my buddies <laughs> in the past couple of years, and, and uh, we wanted to be go to like one of those camps. That we just can't figure out when to do it. Oh, to auction school. Yes. Yeah, to an auction school. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's a, it's, um, it's a fun experience for sure. And, of course, the, the auction schools that are out there, they're a fast-paced program where you – um, that you go to school for a couple of weeks. I think they're nine days or something like that is what they are now. But um, they're teaching you the fundamental basics of, um, you know, the ins and outs of the uh, the business and, of course, uh, the legal side of it and so forth. But the, the true um, time that it takes to learn to chant and so forth is, is something that you have to perfect on your own. And, yeah, it takes and, a while. It's something that, yeah, and for some people it comes naturally and others it's some something that um, they're going to have to work at. Obviously, I'm not going to go out and be a, a gold medal sprinter <laughs> in the Olympics <laughs> or anything sports related, you know, and yeah. that's not something that's something natural to me. But um, being an auctioneer, public speaking, that kind of stuff, that's something that has been um, something that's come to me a little bit easier than some other people. And so it's something I've been able to to use to my benefit. Yeah. So, so you, you, you're doing benefit auctions, you're auctioneering, and then um, you, let's talk about when you get back into the industry. So when you approach me and you say, Cannon, we can get you some pigs. If you really want to do it, you're going to have to put your heart and soul into it. And I'm, we're not going to be messing around. Yes. And um, if you remember, I'm going back, uh, 
while I was still a principal and had yeah. my charter school, you turned nine and I had said, you know, are you interested? And you said, yes, I don't think your, your mom or your dad knew the magnitude of what it was going to take and what was expected and so forth. And so I bought that first set of hogs and bought a trailer and so forth, but it, you just weren't into it. And yeah. so we went ahead and sold that set. And, um, a few years later down the road, um, I came back to you, I guess that was probably in your seventh grade year, wasn't it? Um, grade yeah, grade. something like that. And, uh, um, of course I had continued to help families and, and I guess, uh, trade some hogs and so forth, uh, um, over the years. And, um, I just knew if you wanted to do it, you were going to have to commit fully. And, and so, um, when you decided that you wanted to do that, of course we went out and, um, went to buy some hogs in Oklahoma and bought a trailer. And uh, I guess the rest is history with that. <laughs> well, yeah, we went, so, we went full bore into it. I mean, we did. That's, that's when I knew you were like, I knew you weren't joking around when, when you were like, all right, do you want to do this deal? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And then like the next week you're like, all right, I've got the trailer. I'm picking you up at the, uh, as soon as you get back from state FFA camp, we're going to Oklahoma and we're picking out three hogs. Yeah. So I guess that would have been the, that would have been the end of your eighth grade year because you had gone that summer to state FFA camp. Yep. And then I flew you into Oklahoma city. I drove there. Uh, we picked up a trailer um, that I had bought and, uh, we went and looked for some hogs. We hunted for some hogs and, yeah. um, had went a good time. We went, some, we went to some goat sales too. Went to some goat we sales did. too. We did. It was awfully humid. If I remember. Oh my gosh. So. And I didn't even know what those goat sales were like until we got there. And I was like, these little things are going for that much. Yeah. And we're also in Oklahoma. Was, so, uh, that was the, there was a, and, it, and of course it still is, but that was during a very, um, you know, a, a really hot time in that industry where those hogs yeah. or those goats were bringing just a ton of money. So. Yeah. But, uh, so I get into showing pretty hardcore. Um, we're going to jackpots. We're going to everything else. Uh, we start Hulk feeders, end up going to Duncan, sell out of those. I mean, it's, it's a pretty fast moving wheel that we're going down like the next four or five years <laughs> yeah it was really it was kind of crazy and of course like i said earlier when uh, we get into something i tend to get into it <laughs> and really um get engaged and um i remember that we had ordered some feeders from somebody and when those feeders came in, we used them for a little while. And if you remember correctly, they started to fall apart. Yeah. And uh, so you and I and your stepdad, Steve, Steve. Uh, were talking about those feeders. And just we couldn't believe that we had paid um, that kind of money for those feeders. And they had fell apart that fast. And um, so we just kind of I remember we were um, at your house talking about it and uh, Steve and I kind of said, we can make these things. And I was like, you know what? This would be the perfect SAE for Canon. And, um, and lo and behold, over the course of about a week, <laughs> I think we started brainstorming and discussing, um, if we could get the job done and what we would need to do. And between you and I and Steve and your mom and, um, uh, my mom, your grandma, um, we figured out how to create the jigs and how to get the um, parts and pieces and everything put together. And of course, um, 
I think we took our first um, 20 feeders to our state fair, which was the end of October. And several people there wanted those feeders and bought them from you. And I remember that Shannon Schultz, who's, of course, my other best friend, him and Neil, he had told me, he said, Jeff, you guys need to take and go to Duncan and sell these feeders. And at the time, I think that there was about 25 days, 25 or 30 days between our state fair and Duncan. And I asked you if you wanted to do that and what your thoughts were. And we got after it and, um, I can't remember how many feeders we sold, but we filled the 300 feeders. Yeah. So we filled the front of that trailer and went to Duncan, had no idea if we were going to be able to sell any of them. Um, I remember we created, we didn't a even have a booth. And we did not have a booth. <laughs> we were we outside got, first day. We didn't sell we one feeder. We were outside. We didn't sell one feeder, and then um, I remember I told you, um, you need to go inside and go talk to the team from NSR, and uh, you went inside and talked to them, and there was an open booth space that someone had not taken, and uh, they let us move into that booth space, and you stood there for three days, and I didn't do it for you. You did it all for yourself, and you sold every single one of those feeders in three days. That was yeah. unbelievable. Well, I had some help, too. I had a guy towards the end. He said, hey, I'll, I'll help you sell these feeders if your uncle buys me a case of beer. And I said, we can make that deal. That is true. <laughs> yes, that was Cooper, of course. It was so, Cooper, yeah. He yeah. was like, I'll, I'll sell the rest of these feeders for you, but yeah. your uncle has and to buy he, me a case. And I did, and we took care of him, and of course <laughs> – um, you know, he, he had, uh, he went and promoted the heck out of him. And at the time, um, that was r- really interesting because kind of all the stars aligned, but Sullivan's was there. And of course they reached out to us shortly thereafter and said, Hey, we want to, we want to, um, take these feeders and, and sell them through Sullivan's and, and promote Canon and, and, um, that these are made by, uh, FFA members. So over the course, I guess, of the next couple of years, we made all those feeders um, there at the dairy. And uh, uh, you made all those feeders and, and well, several other FFA effort. members. And it was then, a, it was a you know, effort. we kind of, as the adults, did the quality control on them. And then it got to the point where we couldn't keep up with um, with demand. And so Solvens yeah. went ahead and, and um, started manufacturing those back in, in, in Iowa. So um, we got pretty we, pretty creative though. We did. I mean, we, we, we had, had some the, we had some uh, real technical stuff to build those feeders. It was pretty. Fun. We did. We created jigs that were pneumatic and and had the ability to to put them together and do it. But it just um, with my businesses and and you being in school, it was it needed more uh, time and, and energy than what we were able to, to provide to yeah. be able to keep up with the pace of what they were selling. And so yeah. um, they've been at Sullivan's ever since uh, we've got a new design that we've had for about six months and we're waiting for them to put into production. So hopefully that will happen very, very soon. But um, I, I, I know you and I worked really hard on that and, and have continued to, to uh, believe in those feeders, and um, I, I think um, it is something that you'll be able to continue to to reap some benefits from throughout your life. So. Well, hopefully, I mean there, and I mean that feeder's everywhere, and that's what that's one thing that we it always is. talked about. I mean, anybody yep. can make this feeder. The only thing right. we can do is make it the way we want to and right. how how we intend. 
Yep. And of course there's multiple people that make feeders that are very similar on the market. Yep. Um, and, and that's fine. Um, uh, that's, uh, uh, that's what makes the world go around. There's, you know, that's capitalism, 5,000 show pig producers <laughs> yep. too. So there's three, or however many there are more than that, probably. <laughs> but yeah. Um, um, let's, uh, I wanted to just, uh, quickly discuss, not quickly, actually. Um, but I wanted to go into starting next level. Um, sure. And I, you're you have been teaching your whole life. You're a great coach. I didn't know anything about showing pigs until you came into my life and told me, "No, you look you look very dumb. Uh, you need to do it this way." Well, I'm not sure if I said you look dumb. I might have said. I'm pretty sure you said I looked dumb. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope I didn't. But, no, um... but no, but like. It, it felt like a natural path for you to just, I mean, mm. even when you were working with me, you were helping yep. other families and we would go sure. visit other families. And I mean, yep. and I would like to help other people with showing lo- or showing hogs. So right. what made you want to actually like, just be like, you know what? I'm tired of going to each individual house. Let's just start a show camp. Is that, was that kind of the process? Yeah, kind of. I mean, basically it was, there were so many people that we were helping or, or that needed help or had asked for help that I was trying to figure out between all of my benefit auctions and, and my businesses that how on earth can I help all of these families? And, and I essentially was, you know, going every other night or every night, you know, some weeks to go help and and look at people's hogs or doctor on them or whatever. Um, and, and help them with their feed programs and so forth and said, you know, essentially I got to the point where I was like, why am I repeating myself so many times a week with the same information over and over and over? And I knew that there were um, some other camps out there specifically, there were some really good cattle camps, goat camps, sheep camps, uh, probably more sheep and cattle than anything else at that time. And, and there were a couple of hog camps, but I, I just thought, there's no reason on earth why we can't get all these families in one room and spend a weekend and, and get everyone on the same page and help all the kids at the same time. And so, um, I think, uh, you know, that was almost, uh, I guess over five years ago. And so, um, we started with that first camp and we did it here locally at one of the high schools and, and used one of their facilities. And, and then when, after we did the first one, um, you know, and I had a couple of different families that I invited to help us and a couple of different kids. We did that first one and then it just started, uh, um, started rolling to the point where, you know, we were getting so many people asking if we could do camps, um, that I was like, well, I guess we have to continue to put these on. And then, um, some people who have become some of my very best friends, uh, in the world, Jason and Melissa Sherman, um, out of, uh, Ontario, Oregon, Melissa's an extension agent in Ontario. And she had seen us promoting those camps on Facebook. And I don't know exactly how she saw, because we were only promoting in Arizona, but she must've ended up on, um, our Facebook page somehow through some of her research. And she called me and said, would you be interested in coming doing it? One of these camps in, in Oregon. And I said, well, it's something we could definitely talk about. I hadn't thought anything about doing camps outside of Arizona at the time. And, um, she convinced me to, to come up there and, uh, do that first camp in Oregon. And the rest was history. It just, uh, started to explode from there. And, and we started getting requests from all over the country. And, um, of course now we've been at it, I guess, almost six years. And, um, 
it uh, has been an exciting ride. There are a lot of changes that have happened. Uh, I was able to to reach out and hire Kaylee to come on board, and um, we have done camps from coast to coast, literally from coast to coast, from Florida all the way to California and um, up north. And we've had kids from all over the United States, from every corner of the United States, come to the camps. So yeah. it's been um, absolutely amazing to watch. Uh, we've been able to um, pivot from uh, just doing the hog camps to to also including the goats and um, we have some other plans to potentially bring on some other species in the future um, and at the same time we've created some educational products that I had in the back of my mind for a number of years but never really you know had the opportunity to put them together and and push those out those are our flashcards mainly and um, those have been um, a, a great addition to our um, portfolio that we have in place as far as educational materials and um, and our camps uh, that we've done so far so um, but next level is kind of its own baby now and um, it uh, continues to grow well and the the educational uh, part of it the flashcards have only almost become a separate deal from the camps i mean you have to have the camp platform to sell the flashcards but those flashcards have been so important to kids around the country just knowing their questions knowing their projects yeah and of course we um started off with the uh, and i knew that we need some flashcards at our camps and um to me there are a lot of kids out there that show for a check and they know nothing about their project or they know very little and that was always something that was really aggravating to me and i always made sure when i was a 4-h leader and and taught ag and so forth that I, I wanted to make sure that my kids knew about their, their, their projects, about what they were showing. And it was something that um, was grilled into me whenever I was in FFA and, and Mr. Greneal wanted to make sure that we knew about what we were doing. And so that was something that, you know, I was always passionate about. And I, I got so frustrated that so many families were showing for a check and their kids knew nothing about the animals that they were showing. And, you know, they were, they weren't engaged in the industry, didn't know anything about it. And so when we started the camps, I said, we need to have some flashcards. Um, I know that flashcards work as a tool that is very different than something digital. Um, the, the way that the mind works, obviously, and learning styles and so forth. Flashcards are a repetitive um, item that kids can look at that is a tangible item that um, through their their memory, they're able to remember that information and, and they can be used in various different ways and are used uh, at the elementary, middle school, high school, and of course at the college level um, and have been for years very successfully. So we created that first deck of 85 questions um, related to just hogs and uh, and then people started asking, they're like, hey, my kid shows sheep and goats and cattle, and we would like these for that and so forth. And so um, when I hired Kaylee and she came on board at Next Level, that was actually one of the very first things that we we started to work on. I said, hey, here's something that I've had um, kind of an idea is to, to create these and sell these for different species. And uh, and then from there, we've, we've created those. We've created um, uh, dairy cattle dairy goats, rabbit, 
Uh, we also did have just recently released our new livestock judging. We took all four of the market species and we took originally we had the 85 questions and now we have three decks related to each one of those. So level one, two, and three. Um, and uh, it, uh, we also did a round robin set. We have one for ear notching. So now I think um, with our educational banners that we just released and some of the other products that we have, we have over 40 products um, that are educational um, related to the livestock and show industry. And um, they are, uh, it's mind blowing to me to think about the number of people that reach out to us um, and tell us um, how those uh, flashcards and the educational materials that we have produced have helped their kids win inside the show ring, win career development events, um, win um, different contests, whether it be uh, skillathons, etc., and also just get their kids excited about yeah. the species that they're showing. That whenever a kid, up. whenever a kid feels like they um, know about the project that they are showing they are going to feel like they can be more successful um, in the show ring and more engaged. And um, it's, it's, there's something about it when they have that information and they feel like they're educated, they feel like they, they can be more successful. Just like with anything, the more educated you are, um, you know, the more you're going to feel like you can accomplish something. And so those flashcards have just been, um, monumental um, to I think a, a lot of families and, and certainly to us it's been um, something that I'm super passionate about and um, we have a lot of ideas moving forward in the future to continue to to uh, make other flashcards and other types and and to continue to build on our um, educational side of our brand well I mean I can't talk highly enough about it uh, and I've talked about it a lot on this podcast with several people um, next level in general, obviously I'm a counselor, so I, I have a bias towards it, but <laughs> yeah, it's you kinda, such an incredible you, you got pulled into that really. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I remember going to the first camp. Yep. Absolutely. And, so. oh gosh, it's such a good experience, but I, so we're going to talk about three major things that you're doing right now. So one is next level. Let's, sure. let's move on to gestate. Sure. Um, because if people don't know what gestate is, you need to know what this is. Um, <laughs> Jeff, just give us the rundown of, of what the, what this app is, what the software is, and, and what it can do for people's operations. Sure. And first of all, let me preface, I, I feel kind of bad we've taken your listeners down a lot of rabbit holes on this call. I, I, <laughs> I happen to have my hands in several different things. And um, like we said before, I don't know, I guess I could probably be diagnosed with ADHD or something. I don't know. But well, that's I'm, what I, that's I'm, what I'm trying to relay here. I, <laughs> I, I've set I, it up for this reason. So that people are like, what you, the heck you. is this I, guy doing? <laughs> yeah. I, and, but if you look at the broad spectrum of everything, um, they all kind of tie in together. So, yeah. um, you know, and if you, and some of the people that I'm passionate about and look up to, you know, Warren Buffett being one of them, he has, you know, over 50 different businesses. So I will never have what he has, but, you know, sometimes you have to have to look um, and see how you can be engaged in multiple different capacity or different things so that you, um, 
you know, to build your brand and so forth. But well, I don't um, think I don't. First, I don't think you have to defend yourself. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you... sometimes people wonder, oh, my gosh, he's got a lot going on. I do, and that's that's the way that I work and how yeah. I thrive. So other people, uh, you know, they 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 can only focus on one thing, but I like to have multiple things going on. Otherwise, I'd be bored out of my mind. Exactly. So, anyways, um, that being said, uh, probably uh, four or five years ago. Um, Two of my my really good friends um, are both computer systems engineers at Intel, and um, one of them uh, and I were sitting down one night and we're talking about building an app. And I said, I have an idea that's related to the ag industry and um, to the show industry. And I said, they're really we need an app that people can um, you know essentially use to to keep all the records of their show pig operations or commercial hog operations. And, um, it was kind of during the time when, you know, lots of people were making apps and, um, over the course of the weekend, we brainstormed on that and conceptualized it and did some of the wireframing, which means that we, um, got uh, our computers out basically and started putting together ideas of what it would look like and how it would function. And, um, of course, Michael, um, at the time he knew nothing about livestock at all. I mean, he grew up in a high rise in Seattle. So, yeah. and then, uh, he said, you know, I don't think I can do this by myself. Um, I need to talk to Josh, who was one of his coworkers and, um, one of our friends and we brought Josh, uh, I think within on board within a month, we had him engaged and, um, we all three had very different skill sets and I had to teach them everything about uh show pigs and pigs in general and well, everything and, that you would want to record, industry. basically yeah absolutely um and uh if you talked to either one of those guys today um they could hold their own in a conversation with you about gestation you know times and anything to do with the show pig industry and 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 they've never been engaged in it other than through our app but they understand all the terminology they understand how it works and um, what, um, what needs to go into the app. So basically we started Gestate. It took us about, I think, um, almost a year and a half to get it to the point where we were ready to release it. Um, and today it is used by thousands and thousands of people across the United States and also England, New Zealand, Canada, um, and several other countries that, um, I probably am and forgetting off the top of my head, but uh, it's used by show pig and commercial producers across the world. And um, I, I have people come up to me all the time that uh, say they couldn't live without it. And it's it's mainly because of Michael and Josh that it is, um, uh, you know, as successful as it is and it works the way that it does because they um, are truly two of the smartest people I know, but uh, they were able to build it. Um, from some of their experience at Intel and, and understand how it needed to be written. And we didn't outsource it to anyone. Um, all of that has been written uh, in our office and um, uh, all the code is ours. And, and we have been very, very passionate about um, keeping it simple, uh, but extremely, extremely um, robust in, in what it functions, the functionality of it and what it can yeah. do. And, um, it's been, it's been a success for us for sure. And, um, uh, something that we're, we continue to have ideas for and other people continue to tell us things that we need to improve on, but, uh, it's, uh, it's, well, that's been how exciting. that goes, I guess. So, and essentially to answer the rest of your question, it is a herd management app for 
um, hog producers to use to manage their herds. So Yeah, and for anybody that honestly doesn't know what Jessicate is, go to your app store, download it. It's, uh, it's free if you only have like three sows, right? So people can kind of play with it if they want to, just to figure out kind of what, what the inputs are and everything. Yep. So just download it and just put like sow number one, name a sow and and figure out the complexities of what you can, not complexities, but just the intricate details that you can put in about each sow, uh, a herd sire, uh, the baby pigs that are coming out of that sow, what they sold for. I mean, there's, there's so many intricate details that you guys covered in that app that are so beneficial to it could be beneficial to any producer out there if you have one sow or if you have 500 sows yeah and we have several people that use it that have over a thousand sows yeah um and you know they'll have uh, 10 employees that are on ipads that are using that software and then of course it does have um, the web-based component, so you can you can use it on your computer as well. It is iOS-based, uh, meaning that uh, the app can be downloaded in the, the Apple Store, but then um, you can use it on Android as well, but it's the web-based portion of it. But uh, it, um, it, is, uh, it, it works, and it works really, really well, and there's a lot of people that swear by it. So it's, uh, it's something that we, we put a lot of love into and um, something I'm pretty proud of. So... Now, piggybacking off of that, let's slide right into stud tech. Yeah, so over the course of about the past year and a half, uh, we've been working on something kind of behind the scenes um, called stud tech. Are we allowed to talk about it right now? Yeah, absolutely. Yep, yep, the cat's out of the bag. So um, essentially, we spoke to several people that were in the boar stud industry that kept asking us and saying, can you please make something like Gestate, but for um, boar studs to be able to manage their clients, um, manage and track um, their semen cells, and of course, just overall boar stud management. And um, we we took uh, a, and, and interviewed and talked to uh, a number of people in the industry. And from that, we were able to build out the frame for, framework for what stud tech is today. And um, we've had it in beta, which means that it's been in test mode. Um, we've been using it at Ottenwalters. Um, our good friends there, Rock. Russell and Becca have been using it there in their office uh, to manage their their cells. And essentially, the easiest way for me to explain it to someone is it is like Amazon uh, for your boar stud. So for for it, semen sales, basically. Yeah, exactly. So it manages everything from your inputs of uh, your semen collection and uh, mortality, all of your scores based on your semen, and then um, all of your customers, it serves as a CRM. So essentially you can put in all of your customers' information um, in in the system as well as all of their billing details, credit card information, et cetera. And then, of course, it uh, syncs all up with UPS or FedEx, uh, whatever your preferred carrier is, and allows you to uh, sell your semen through the system um, be able to bill people. And then probably, um, the coolest part about it is the, the communication ability, um, that it has. So as soon as you reserve semen, you're going to get a text and an email that says that you've reserved the semen. And then of course, once it has shipped, um, you get that instant, uh, text message that has all of your, your details about your tracking information and that the semen has left the, the, the boar stud. Um, and of course for the boar stud to be able to track their, their cells and not have to take and um, 
try to piecemeal five or six different pieces of software. Uh, Stud Tech will do everything that you need. Um, and uh, we still have a few things that we're working on that we want to build into it. But for the most part, it is, um, it's a standalone system that can manage your entire bore stud. I love that you just said it's the Amazon of boar semen. <laughs> well, I, it's hard for people to understand unless you tell them, you know, basically it's, and it is, and, and let me explain as well that it's, it's not that it's an online portal where the, the public can go and purchase semen. It is the backside uh, where the boar studs are going to use it um, exclusively. So um, there's no outward facing website where you can go on and order semen from the boar stud currently. However, that is in the works right now. So um, essentially, once uh, we have it uh, completely built out, um, the boar stud will have um, be able to list all their boars through the, through stud tech and be able to sell their semen on the, on, on the site and the, and the public will be able to order it directly. So, um, we have a lot of, of, uh, I think interesting ideas of how we can take and help, um, that industry and, and, uh, progress it along um to to keep up with pace of you know some of the other um parts of uh um our just our general day-to-day -day, uh, way that we interact with uh, purchasing products and stuff in in our day-to-day -day life um and and i think that sometimes the the ag industry and, and specifically the show industry lags behind in in the use of technology to um manage our our businesses. And so we're trying to, um, basically pull yank, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, that industry in the right direction as fast as possible and get them on a fast track so that they can adopt, um, and, and harness the power of, uh, technology. Yeah. And we're adopting, we're, we're kind of laggards in this deal. Well, in some ways, some ways we're very progressive. Some ways we're very good. Yeah. But the show industry specifically, they're, you know, you aren't going to see a lot of big companies spending a lot of time and energy um, because the show industry is such a niche industry. So yeah. there's some really, you know, some some people out there that have done some amazing things for our industry technology wise. And of course, you know, Kevin went with showpig.com and um, Travis Platt and, and, you know, just a number of people um, that were able to, to harness um, and be early, you know, adopters of, of some of those things. But there's other areas that there hasn't been any progression because, you know, I think that it takes a lot of information and a lot of knowledge and know-how to be able to to put these type of things together. I'm not saying that there's people out there that can't get it done, but the amount of resources and time or it's cost prohibitive where, um, with us, we, it's, and I don't want to say that it, it's more of a hobby, I guess, uh, for, for my partners, they, it gets their mind off of some of the things that they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis at their, um, their, their, their day jobs, if you will, at Intel. And so this is, uh, their side hustle, if that makes sense. <laughs> of course. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, now that we've talked about your life, what you've been involved with, um, your passion, uh, your, your ambition, I wanted to ask you one question, uh, and I've wanted to know it, know it for a while. So <laughs> this could get really scary. No, no, it'll be all right. So, I mean, <sighs> We we've talked about you just going into things headfirst. You're not you're not straying away from a challenge. 
from a young age, what was your drive? Do you still have the same drive that you did? But like, I mean, what, what drives you to just continue to keep pursuing new things and try to keep adopting new things? Is there a goal in mind or, or what is, what is your thing that you're just keeps you going? You know, I, I love to work. Um, it's, I would rather, and it sounds crazy and, and, you know, people are going to think I'm, I'm nuts, which I guess I, I might be, but I would rather be, um, working in front of my computer or, or talking about ideas and, um, or doing something with people rather than go to the movies or, um, go, go camping or something of that nature. That's not, um, things that really excite me. My, my hobbies, my, my love, my passion is uh, entrepreneurship and um, building businesses, uh, talking about ideas, um, coming up with new things. Um, that's the kind of stuff that, that drives me. And, and um, I guess, you know, there's other people that they love to go to the dunes or uh, they're really passionate about hunting or fishing or whatever. And for me, um, business is what I'm passionate about. And so that is my, um, my love. And, um, you know, it's what I, what I like to do. And so, um, I don't know, you know, if there's a single thing that drives me, I, I think I'm as passionate today as I was whenever I was a kid. I, I always remember as a kid, always, you know, being around my dad and my uncles and, um, you know, being in business, it, it, it always intrigued me whenever kids didn't know what their parents did for a living, whenever I was involved in our family business my whole life. So yeah. it was, it wasn't even a thought, uh, even as in when I was an ag teacher and a principal, um, you know, and eventually I owned my own school, but I, I always had something as a side hustle, you know, and I, I always wanted to be in control of my own destiny and um, that can um, you know, there's some people that aren't going to enjoy that, but that's something that I, I absolutely love is, is being able to wake up every morning and say, what's next? You know, what, what, what is the, the big idea that we're going to focus on and work on and, um, running those ideas by my friends and, and, uh, people that are, are passionate about the same interests as I am. I, I love that. And, uh, it's something exciting. It's something new. And I think uh, being able to work on new ideas and challenges are are the type of things that keep me engaged and, and keep me awake at night, <laughs> you know, when yeah. most people are sleeping. So, um, you know, and we have some some really cool things that we've done recently, and, and I have a lot of ideas for the future. And I think we just um, that's what keeps keeps me passionate and keeps me engaged and um, keeps keeps me excited about the future. So, well, I think you're very unique. Uh, and I mean that in a good way. I mean, I, I, I grew up with you, so I, I mean, I, I saw you around and it it was, it was weird. I mean, I, I had never really seen that, uh, from anybody in my life before. Uh, like just the amount of things that you were, that you had your hand in and, and what you could do, uh, with a room. Like you said, I mean, you can control a room, you can you're a pretty good talker. You can kind of get things and, and get things done. Um, so, I mean, you're doing a great job. (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. I think, um, you know, I, obviously sometimes I, I have too many things going on and, and maybe can't focus, uh, enough (laughs) sometimes to get things done fast enough for other people. Um, I know that, uh, 
you know, I, I, I tend to think long and hard about things, but also try to move fast so that, you know, we're first to market on things as well. But, um, I, there's a quote that I kind of live by and, um, it's no shortcuts, no excuses. And you know, that that's uh, one of the things that we teach at camp and, there's a lot of people that say, if you want to have the results only 5% have, you must be willing to do and think like only 5% do and think. And so I, that is my goal. I, I don't ever want to, uh, when I'm gone and you're still here, hopefully someone will look back and be able to say, you know, Jeff took every opportunity he was given. And, um, and that's, that's what I want to be able to be known for is that I, I never, um, you know, looked at any challenge and backed away that I, I looked at head on and, and tried to take it. And if I could accomplish it, we worked at it and tried to get it done. And, um, that's, you know, that's the legacy that I want to leave behind. So, well, I was just about to ask you, I like to close out these interviews, um, with, uh, asking my guest to give some, a piece of advice. Um, but I think that's a good piece. I mean, it, would you give any different advice than just take all the opportunities that you can? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I think that a lot of times people are very, very scared to try things that are unfamiliar to them or um, maybe something that hasn't been proven. Um, you know, there were several people that throughout my life uh, said that I couldn't accomplish things. And whether it was whenever I started the charter school, there were a lot of people that thought that guy's too young. He'll never be able to get that done. And then we became one of the top 10 schools in the state um, and became very, very successful. There were a lot of people, and you know this, when we started the camps that said, who are you? You know, and they actually put it on Facebook and they said, who do you think you are? Who, who, who's the who's who? that's going to come and teach these camps. And I said, there's no who's who we're going to teach them, you know? And, um, I've never allowed anyone to, um, stand in my way from that perspective. And I think that if more people, um, would just do what they think they are passionate about and try, they will be successful. It's just like you with these podcasts. When you called me and said, I'm thinking about doing these. And I said, do it. I thought it would be a great thing, you know, and, and it has been, and it continues to grow. And, you know, anything you've ever talked to me about, there's been a few things where I've said, well, you need to think <laughs> about that a little bit longer, but for the most part, and even myself, there are things that I think about and I have to go back and reevaluate. But if you'll just put your head down, if you're really, really passionate about something and you, and you will start to work at it, if you will stick with it and, um, and give it your all, you will become successful at that. Yeah. I think you're completely right. I mean, anybody that's successful is going to tell you that. Even it's the same thing that we teach at our camps. I can stand at our camps and, and coach all the parents and coach all the kids and we're going to give them, you know, all of the details, everything that they need to be successful and there's going to be that 5% that go out and do all of those things and are going to become the ones that are the most successful in that industry. It's not rocket science for people to be successful in this industry or in the show ring. It's just that the people that are successful are the people that are putting in the most time and energy. 
and that are focused on their goals and accomplishing greatness. Um, and they're able to do so because of that. Yeah. Well, uh, I think you're a hundred percent right. Some people, they just need to take a step back and, and not think about it so much. I, I yep. feel like a lot of families are just thinking about it way too much. Um, Trying to put or they too have much a lot of things it. going on, and we all yeah. do. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of yeah. course, of course. That's that's not a knock on anybody. But um, Jeff, I really appreciate you uh, taking time out of your night to talk to me. Um, I wouldn't be where I am without you. So I love you. <laughs> well, I kind of like you too, just a little bit. So even though you definitely give me a headache sometimes. Yeah, I know it. Keep me up at night, but. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm very proud of you, and um, I'm I'm really excited to see where things go with your podcast, and also about your future. And um, hopefully, we'll get you. Your grades are good enough; we can get you graduated here shortly. Yeah, pretty soon, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's been an ongoing process, but we're almost there. Yeah, so yeah. It's I'm, a it's I'm a good, it's a good journey. Okay, I've, it is I've, a journey. I've You've learned a lot. Many I've learned some things. Yes. That you never want to clip bulls for a living again, right? No, I'd actually do it for another spring, though. For well, maybe a maybe winter. for a spring, but uh, <laughs> that was definitely a good learning experience yeah, for sure. So. All right, Jeff. Um, thanks again. And I we're gonna have to do a live episode soon. I mean, you're only yep. an hour and a half away from me, but I want yep. I want to get you and Shannon on. I want to do like a three way live. Oh man! Oh my gosh! We didn't even talk about Phoenix. <laughs> well. Do you want to talk? Do you have time, or do you not want to? I do can. It? Yeah, I can talk. Let's about talk Phoenix. about Phoenix. That's one thing that I did want to talk about. Okay. Um, huge. Okay, guys, I need to calm down. Um, you just put on this incredible show uh, in the middle of October in Phoenix, Arizona. You, <laughs> some of you may have seen it on social media. You guys did a great uh, job. Uh, your team did. Tell us about the Phoenix Hog Show. Tell us about why you would want to start it, and then. Uh, obviously we're going to go into the intricate details about the things that you guys did during the show, but. Oh my gosh, this is going to be your longest podcast ever. I think well, it might. I will, I will uh, talk about it. So I will be really honest with you. Uh, you know, Shannon and I, uh, have been talking about ha putting on a show for a number of years and we brainstormed a lot of different ideas of, you know, different shows that were out there talked about the things that we thought were cool, the things that we would change. Um, and as you know, we both were very involved at the hog show at Arizona nationals. And, um, so when some changes came down the pike there and we decided that we needed to walk away and let some other folks take over, um, we, you know, basically said, Hey, you know, now's the perfect opportunity for us to, um, maybe start talking about and thinking about putting on our own show and what that would look like. And, uh, it was kind of wild because we, we had just started to talk about it and we thought, well, we need to do this in a couple of years. You know, we need to take some time and, and plan this out. And, um, a couple of uh, people came to us, um, the associate director of the Arizona State Fair and the director of livestock, who are some of our friends, came to us and said, hey, look, we've got a week during the Arizona State Fair that is open, and uh, we would be interested in talking to you guys and seeing 
what we could do during that time to fulfill some of that uh, space in our barns. And um, we said, well, we've been thinking about putting on a hog show and you know, here is uh, the framework of what we would like to do. And essentially they said, you know what, that sounds like a great idea. Uh, let's do it. And that was about six months before the show. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it was pretty um, quick. It was yeah, pretty quick. It was a very fast process. And um, we knew that, you know, the time frame was against us as far as when it was during the year. Also, that we only had a limited time to announce it and get people, you know, educated about what it was. But at the same time, and the reason why we decided to move forward was sometimes things are presented to you and you have to roll with it when the opportunity is given to you. And we wanted to, to essentially have a proof of concept. And so um, there were several people that had we had been in talks with about doing a show similar uh, in different parts of the country. Um, but, uh, the state fair approached us and, uh, said, Hey, look, we'll, we have the facilities, we have, uh, the ability to host you guys and, and some resources that you guys can use. And so we went ahead and rolled with it. And, um, uh, Shannon and I sat down, we put, uh, you know, pencil to paper and, and discussed the different ideas that we had. Um, and at the time we had talked about doing something completely outside of, uh, the box as far as the hog industry and I know it had been done you know at Denver with the cattle and um, where they have a three judge system um, but we wanted to see if we could do that in the hog ring and 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 use technology um, which is something that I love to to assist with that and um, so we kind of had some a couple of different goals we knew we needed to to um, get on a fast track to get us promoted and, and start talking about it and then figure out how we were going to um, execute on the grand stakes, which is the, the three judge um, show that we put on. And then also how, uh, what kind of a team we were going to put in place um, to, to make it a world-class show. And um, I have a love for design and marketing. Um, that's kind of my, my, uh, relaxing part of my um, persona, if you will. I, I, I like to do a little graphic design and stuff, but um, I knew that I couldn't do it by myself. So we, between Shannon and myself and Sherry, his wife, and then a few of our friends, um, and then, of course, uh, Kaylee, we brought on board to help uh, during the show. Um, but we went ahead and engaged Walton Webcasting, um, Jace Tarbell of Tarbell Marketing and Design and Zach Lear and his crew at Empire. And uh, um, that was kind of our team that we put together and uh, started to promote the show. And um, lo and behold, I think it was pretty successful. So. Yeah. I mean, I I only heard good things about it. Um, I mean, I had Ernest on a couple weeks ago and he, uh, he heard a lot of things. I, Ernest was there, wasn't he? Yeah, he yeah, was. So, I mean, he, uh, he talked about it very highly. And yep. It, yes, we ended up with, I think, over 200 entries. Um, you know, it wasn't huge. But what I will tell you is um, that we were able to proof that concept. And, um, uh, of course, we had the Barrett and the Guilt Show. And then, of course, uh, Showmanship. And then we had our, our Grand Stakes. Um, 
Which we was had the three judge uh, the three judge show. show. Yes, we had uh, Mark and Jenna Stanley from Fierce Threads, um, Mormon Show Tech, which of course is Bruce McLean, um, uh, Laura, and of course Krisha Custis, um, Krisha Geffert. Now I apologize, and uh, Sullivan Supply all came on board, and of course uh, Mark and Sandy Ottenwalter and Russell. Um, those were the first people to come on board as our sponsors and they backed us from the day that we said go. And, uh, we were able to do some really exciting things because of their support. And, uh, we, um, basically, like I said, we put our plan together and started executing on that. And, um, all the pieces kind of came together. We created, um, some software, that uh, we used uh, with the iPads for the for the grand stakes, and um, Shannon and I uh, worked really diligently on that, and and we're able to create StockShow.Live, which is the the platform that we use for that. And we hope that uh, and have had multiple people reach out to us, and I think that that's going to take some some traction in the industry, and there will be um, a number of shows that adopt adopt that software and start to use it too. Yeah evaluate animals inside the show ring so and once again just just one more thing to add to the to the play of uh, responsibilities yeah and and of course the the cool thing about that of course is i'm not a one-man band of course yeah you've got a lot lot of of people that um are engaged and and help out with um executing on all these different ideas that i have so um you know there's an incredible team behind that that we've been that we were able to put that together and um we're able to showcase it and um our three judges that uh, uh that were at the grand stakes um, which would have been Brad Mabry, Troy Sloan, and Russell Pedret. Um, they said that that was the funnest show they had ever judged, yeah. and um, I, I think that they would they would say that today. It was pretty exciting to to watch it happen and and follow the way that the software worked, and then also for people at home to be able to um, whether they were at home or in the audience to be able to also you know choose their crowd favorite. And we have some ideas of how. Um, you know, there's a lot of different things we can do with that software that we built into it where um, actually the public could be able to place those classes and stuff too. So there's some other things that we're going to roll out in the future. We have some big ideas for that show. Um, and of course, uh, we've been asked by multiple people to replicate that show in different locations. That's something that we're thinking about doing. But um, I guess I just need to clone myself a couple of times <laughs> and Shannon <laughs> yeah. because uh, it takes a lot of people to, to execute on all the different things that we do there at the show. And it was, uh, it took an army, but it, um, it was a lot of fun. We just, uh, we have to decide what our next step is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so incredible what shows are becoming these days. I mean, they're, they're becoming a whole new monster and it's kind of cool. Yeah. And I, I'll be honest with you. Um, I, I've said this, uh, to multiple people, but the traditional show will always have its place. But as people are becoming more and more engaged um, with technology, I think that there has to be a progression um, to keep people engaged in our shows. And also, um, you know, and I think that this is one step in that direction. Um, obviously, Walton webcasting has been huge um, for us to keep engagement from the standpoint of being able to view shows and uh, people being able to see those shows across the country and help promote shows. 
And I think the next step in that progression is something similar to stockshow.live where um, there is some audience engagement. There's instant results. Um, we had two huge screens above um, the ring there. And so you had a little bit more of a, um, I don't know if you want to call it a PBR-esque experience or, um, you know, similar to what some of the sports events are out there where, you know, we were posting um, the winners' names and their photos instantly, you know, and putting that information up where it was, it felt a little more engaging um, than watching just a traditional show. And I love a traditional show too, but this felt like, um, you know, the people um, standing around, they were waiting for that to be put up and the kids like to be able to see their names up there. And it, it just created a little bit more excitement. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it looked like a great time. I was, uh, unfortunately, I couldn't make it. Uh, I was having some car troubles, which kind of sucked, but um, <laughs> it looked awesome. I mean, you, you, you made uh, something, or you and your team made something very, very unique, and I think a lot of people went away from it wanting more. Yeah, it was, um, uh, Mark and Jenna did an incredible job with the awards, um, Sullivan's donated, uh, you know, a lot of that stuff. And then of course, Mark and Jenna were able to, to face the front of the, the show boxes and their banners. And then of course, all the design work from Jace and, um, Zach Tarbell and the entire team at Empire did a phenomenal job with the photos. And we haven't even re released all of, um, the photos and some of the marketing and promotion stuff that we did that is, is really, really cool. So I'm excited to showcase that. Um, and you know, and, and you already know this Canon, but I'm a big believer in, um, when people come on board, they need to take ownership and it's shared ownership in anything that we do. And so I want people to feel like they are, um, working for themselves and, and do it with as much passion as they would if it was their own entity. And that's what we did with the team there at Phoenix. Um, you know, Jace and uh, Zach and the entire crew that was taking photos, you know, I told them, I said, guys, act like this is your get, you know, your deal. I want you to own this um, and to, and let's do everything you've ever dreamed of. And, um, and, and of course uh, that is, um, when you have people that truly believe in something and they have that pride of ownership, it changes um, the entire organization of whatever you're doing, whether it be your business or a nonprofit or a, a livestock show. Um, when you when you let people feel like they are truly a part of the team, it, it uh, that dynamic and that synergy just starts to create some things that are truly, really, really magical and cool. I think you're right. And with that, that's all I had for you. <laughs> awesome. I don't have I don't think I have any other uh hiding around any more topics hiding around here. So. <laughs> well, we'll be announcing uh, those dates soon, so hopefully your listeners can um keep up with us and of course can can look for information about our show on on um Facebook and and uh um we have some exciting uh, additional things that we hope to roll out for the 2020 show as well. So. Yeah, I'm excited for it. And hopefully uh, numbers are up. I mean, you, the the fact that you got those numbers within a six-month period is very good. Yeah, uh, of and, course. And we know that, uh, I mean, we've had 
Um, it's It's been a little overwhelming <laughs> of the number of people that have reached out to us and said that they, they want to come to the show next year and um, have already asked about what our dates are and when we're going to um, put up all of the information and so forth. Perfect. So um, we are, we're working on that now and we hope to release that information soon. We know that uh, there's a number of people that have, um, you know, are already thinking about what, uh, what their set will look like and, and <laughs> uh, want to make plans and get their hotels booked and so forth. Oh, yeah. So anyways, awesome. But, yeah. Well, uh, you'll be on again soon. I'm going to get you and Shannon on again. That sounds like a plan, but uh, there's plenty of other people out there that uh, to interview. You're doing a heck of a job. I am more than proud of you, and um, uh, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, and um, uh, this is going to be tremendously successful. And just like I said earlier, all you got to do is keep on doing it, and uh, it uh, it'll continue to grow. So, well, I appreciate you, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right, sounds good. Have Bye. a good night, buddy. Time's limited, so you must listen carefully. Now, if I ever think I'm doing really well in life, and I'm like, yeah, I'm being pretty productive today, I just have to think about Jeff, and I'm like, no, I'm still a piece of crap, and I need to do way more uh, than I'm doing right now. Just the amount of stuff that he's done uh, right off the bat, right out of high school, it's it's very inspiring. And, and it's one of the reasons that I have drive today is is because he's a huge role model of mine, uh, a person that I look up to every single day. And, and like I said, I wouldn't be here without him. Uh, so he's incredible. I hope you guys liked it. Uh, like I said, if you don't know him now, you will know him soon. And if you want to get to know him, he's a pretty personable person. If, if he can, if you can like contact him, uh, but if, if you can get a hold of him, he'll talk with you for, for hours. So uh, everybody spam Jeff Maynard. I'll, I'll put the, I'll put his number in the link. I'm uh, just kidding. he He'd probably kill me if I did that. But he's pretty easy to reach over Facebook and stuff like that. So reach out to him. Follow me at the show pod. And if I, t- if I release a Thursday episode, I'll talk to you on Thursday. But if I don't, you're going to be seeing me either this Monday. I hope it's this Monday, but I don't know. If not, definitely next Monday after Thanksgiving. I'm really excited for you guys to hear my idea. I'm really excited to hear the feedback. So let me know what you think about the Monday episode when it comes out. Till then, I love ya. Bye.